0: It is a joy to be here with you today. It truly is. And if this is your first time, your very, very first time as our guest at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us for the first time at Banta, uh, Franklin Campus, Garfield Park Campus here at the Greenwood Campus, or if you're watching for the first time online or at our brand new Seymour Campus, if this is your first time, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up to all of our first time guests? We truly are excited for you to be here, and hopefully, you've uh, been blessed thus far. Uh, For the rest of you who are not brand new, we say, Welcome back. That's pretty good. You guys are getting a little better. Can we do that again? Ready? One, two, three. Welcome back. Good to see you guys. You look cute. You look great. Look handsome. Look pretty. Last week, we started a series called The Benjamins. We said we're going to be talking about money in church. Uh oh, people tend to get funny when you talk about money. In church, it's kind of awkward, but we need to talk about it because the Bible talks about money a ton. Did you know? Did you know? Maybe this is your first time. You missed last week. There are over twenty-three hundred Bible verses concerning money, finances, and possessions. That is a ton. That is three times as many verses as uh, the, on the Bible about love. Incredible. Sixteen out of the thirty-eight parables that Jesus taught. were uh, were about money or finances or possessions. Why does the Bible talk so much about money? Here's why. It's real simple. We said it last week. Money and life are intertwined. I mean, think about it. What can you really do without money? Not too much. Can you get married without money? I mean, I guess. Marriage ain't gonna last very long. <laughs> can you have kids without money? Heck, no! They are the most expensive things on this planet, right? What, wait, what can you really do without money? You can't hang out with friends. I mean, you can. But after a while, your friends are going to be like, dang, dude, come on. You said you forgot your wallet last week. You, you, you forgot it again? Like, you're not going to have many friends without money. Does this make sense? Yes or no? Like, there's not much. You can't even get in your car and drive somewhere, with, uh, you know, and, or go out with friends without money. Money and life are intertwined. Money is like oxygen. It really is. You need it to survive. And so whether you like money or whether you hate money, which however you feel about it, we are all forced into a relationship with money because money and life are intertwined. And what we said last week is that if you have a toxic relationship with money, it can really devastate your life. It could cause you to take a job that you hate, because, quote, "It pays more, right? It can cause you to feel like a failure, because all your peers are making more money than you, and money is a sign of success. I mean, it, it can cause you to get into mounds and mounds of debt if you don't know how to manage it correctly Or if you think that the only purpose of money is to buy more stuff to keep up with the joneses I mean, it can cause you to wreck a family because you overvalue money So you spend all your time at work and you neglect a marriage you neglect your children It could even cause you to do something illegal like we talked about last week with the guy uh with the guy from um uh, from goldman sachs. What was his name? Uh, I can't remember his name. It was a tough one. But anyway, it could cause you to do something even illegal. So what we said was, hey, let's let's do a series, let's have a discussion about building a healthy relationship with money, getting some new thoughts about money and that's how we can connect with it in a more positive, healthy way. How did we develop the relationship with money that we have right now? Through our parents through our friends and through society. That's how we've come to learn how to relate to it. The only problem is a lot of times our parents and our friends and society gives us the wrong information about money, right? It makes you significant. It makes you important. Do all these different things, right? And so we, we said, let's look into the Bible and get some new thoughts about money. So what we said last week was that money is a test. It's a test of your character, it's a test of your love for people, it's a test of your stewardship, and it's a test of your work ethic. And so if you missed that last week, you can go back and check it out on YouTube. Today I wanna give you another idea that is gonna really be helpful to those of you who grew up in church or in some environment where you were taught that money was really a bad thing. How many of you heard the verse quoted, the love of money is the root of all evil? Have you heard that? Yes, and it's true. The part that we tend to miss out there or or overlook is the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not teach that money is the root of all evil. Remember what we said last week. Money is passive. If you drop it on the floor, it stays there. It doesn't have little feet or legs and it doesn't do anything. It does something when a person picks it up. What determines what this money does is what's in my heart or what's in your heart. If I'm an evil guy, evil things are going to happen. If I'm a good guy, good things are going to happen, right? Money money is not the root of all evil. The love of it is. It's the person who makes it bad. And so a lot of us have grown up in an environment where money has been kind of talked about in, in a negative sense, and so therefore, we feel bad about having it, we think it's a source of evil, we think that it's something that if it does come into our life, maybe we should, we should get rid of it. We, we say things like, money corrupts people. We, we have a negative relationship with money. I'm going to share a couple of ideas with you today that I believe are going to set some of you free from some of those thoughts. Have you ever been in a situation where a lack of resources has caused a lot of pain in your life. And maybe you're not there now. Maybe you're older. And you've been saving money for a long period of time. And so you're no longer in that type of situations, That situation. But... For a lot of us, we're younger, middle-aged, and, and, and a lack of resources really touches us deeply, especially when stuff goes sideways. And doesn't stuff always go sideways? Anybody? I mean, it's just life happens, and, 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 and the water heater breaks, and the dishwasher goes out, and, and, and your kid gets sick, and, and they got to go into the, you know, and, and all of a sudden there's this unexpected financial situation that, that you don't have the resources for. Isn't that how life works? And sometimes it can get so bad that you're actually choosing between paying the rent or buying groceries and and taking your child to the hospital or getting a procedure done on yourself that you need. And, And when you get in those spots, you can literally feel trapped. You can feel choked. You can feel desperate. You can feel angry. You're upset because this lack of resources, because of your lack of resources, you cannot fix the problem that's currently put in front of you. And I think all of us have been there at, at one time or another. My wife and I just got done uh, watching the, uh, the Netflix uh, episode, uh, show called The Maid. I think it's called Maid. Anybody see that? It's real popular right now. We just got done. It's 10 episodes. And, and I would strongly recommend it, but there are a lot of curse words in it. And we, you know, so pastors can't really. I mean, it's a great, it's a good show, <laughs> except for the cuss words. Anyway, anyway. The show is about this young woman who has a child with this just deadbeat dude who's emotionally, verbally abusive, and she needs to get out of the situation, and and she leaves the house, and I won't give away the whole show, but for 10 episodes, you see her struggling to get away from this deadbeat guy, and the problems that she keeps facing are problems that have to do with a lack of resources. She can't even put gas in her car. She can't even afford childcare. And it's just one problem after another problem. And and you and they do it, they do such a good job that you're watching the show and you feel her pain. And you just want to give her some money so she could get what she needs, the groceries, or get a better apartment, or get out of the situation, or get away from this guy, or hire a lawyer, or just, just live. And because she doesn't have resources, she's stuck. I want to talk to you today about a truth from the Bible that will fix these issues. See, the Bible teaches, and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this, the Bible teaches that money gives you options. You know the way you could say it is, money solves your problems. (laughs) Your practical problems. You say, where does the Bible teach that? I've not read that in the Bible. Come on, pastor. All right, all right, just well, calm down, calm down. In the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a hard book to say, have you ever tried to say it? Ecclesiastes, people always butcher that book when they say it. It's an obscure book written by King Solomon, and I think he wrote it in a time in his life where he was kind of discouraged. Uh, when you, for example, chapter one says, all of life is meaningless, like chasing the wind. You know, it's like, okay, that's a great start <laughs> to the book. It's sort of this book that's, it's like, just, just, kind of covers his existential struggle of what is life about and what is the purpose and what is the meaning and, and why even go on living. And, and, and it's just this, this, you could just feel the struggle when you read Ecclesiastes. And it's filled with, with truth that is true at all times for all people in all places, for sure. There's, there's, there's rock-solid truth in the book of Ecclesiastes. And then there's this other kind of truth that's kind of generally true sometimes for some people, in some situations, and you really have to use a discerning eye to kind of read which one, which, you know, kind of truth am I reading here, and I'm going to read a passage of scripture that I've never read before uh, from this platform, and I've never preached on, and it falls into the latter category, where this is kind of true sometimes, but not always, and not for everyone. You'll see what I mean in just a second. Here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 19. A party gives laughter, wine gives happiness, like now I know why you've never preached on this verse before. (laughs) I get it, I get it. And then he says, money gives everything to, w- to which we would go, wait, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it is. Let's break it down. A party gives laughter. I mean, that's generally true. You show up at a party, these people are having fun, they're laughing, they're connecting, they're socially having fun, whatever. But what if you partied Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, too? What if you partied every night for 365? You would not have a life. You'd go broke. People would hate you. You would hate them. Yes? So, so this is not advocating to go to a party every single day. But when you go to a party, there's people having fun. Makes sense? Yes or no? Then he starts talking about alcohol. Oh, there's a touchy subject. Wine makes you happy. Now, if you ha- are an alcoholic, if you know an alcoholic, if you struggle with alcoholism, you would be the first one to say that ain't true. Because I drink, and I overdrink, and happiness is the furthest thing from my heart. And I get it, and that's true, absolutely. He's not saying drink every day, get a six-pack on the way home. and No, we all know that alcohol will ruin your life if you drink too much of it. However, however, when you have a glass of wine, it really can bring some happiness to you. A glass of wine. (laughs) And then he turns to money. And he makes this audacious statement. Money gives you everything. To which we would all say, if you've been around church long enough, that ain't true, Pastor Danny. Come on. You know money can't give you happiness. Money can't give you salvation. It can't reconcile you to God. It can't help you reconcile with your spouse. It can't give you peace in your heart. It can't bring you joy. Like, there's so many things. The list of things that money can't do is very, very long. And I agree, 100%. So, if that's true, which it is, And even Solomon says it in chapter 5, verse 10. Watch this. Solomon himself says in the same book, those who love money will never have enough. It's like cocaine. It's like pornography. It's never enough. You have to keep going on and on and on. How meaningless to think that wealth brings you true happiness. He is admitting that money has its limits. But then a couple of chapters later, he says money gives you everything. What? What is he talking about? Here's what I think he means. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Money gives you the option to solve your practical problems. That's what he means when he says money gives you everything. You got practical problems. I do. You got lots of practical problems. Dishwasher goes out, right? <laughs> Things happen, you need your kids need money for books? Oh my gosh. Money for books to go to school? I thought it was public school. Right? I mean, what is that all about? Money for this, money for that. This problem. This breaks. Your carburetor goes out. Right? I don't even know where the carburetors located on a car. <laughs> Somebody told me after the 9 o'clock service that they don't make carburetors in cars anymore. I was like, oh. <laughs> Shows you how much I know. <laughs> but I've just heard in the past my carburetor went out. So <laughs> things happen. The other day, uh, the other day, our son came home from college, and and, uh, he he has inherited the family minivan, and so it's, it's great. It's a great car for him because, you know, down at Liberty, which, by the way, is the greatest college in America, the Bible says you will walk at Liberty. I don't know if you've ever seen that verse. So he came home, he comes home, and, and we, we want to get the car safe, so we take it to the deal, you know, the place to get, all, get the tune-up, get it checked out. And they came back, and they said, everything looks great, just need four new tires. Four new tires? That's a lot of money. Well, because, here's, here's the thing, because my wife and I understand money, and we have a great relationship with money, I'm sure it could get better. We have this thing called an emergency fund, anybody ever heard of it? Anybody ever heard of Dave Ramsey? I know some of you love him, some of you hate him. I know, I know, I know. But we follow his little plan. We put some money in in an emergency fund so when we get news like, hey, four new tires, cha-ching, 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 instead of getting all stressed out and worried about, oh, how are we going to pay for that? We say, hey, change them out. Fix the tires. And sure enough, they fix the tires, they get the car back, he gets back in the car, drives back to Liberty with two other people, And that is the power of step three of Dave Ramsey's plan. Everybody know the Dave Ramsey plan? We should all know it by heart right now, right? Step number one, save a thousand bucks. Step number two, pay off all your debt except your house. Step number three, what is step number three? Save three to six months expenses. Why? Because stuff's gonna happen. Tires are gonna need to be replaced. Money solves your practical problems. Some of you are stay-at-home parents, stay-at-home moms and dads. Summertime hits, right? Kids aren't in school. You're about to murder someone. And all of a sudden you remember you got a hundred bucks and you're off to the movies you go, right? And so you solve the problem instead of committing murder, you go to the movies. These are very real issues and money helps to solve those problems. Now, that's what the Bible teaches. That's what Solomon meant when he said money solves, money answers all of the issues. It can't do a lot of things, but it can do many practical things for you. Now, if I just ended the sermon there, that would be entirely selfish, take care of yourself. Money solves your problem, so go get more. That would be entirely selfish. That is not where the Bible stops. It goes further than that. Guess why? There's 8 billion of us on this planet. Have you noticed? That's a lot of people. And about half of them live on a few dollars a day. Did you know that? 4 billion people. They just live on just a few bucks a day. And so God tells us that money, yes, it's going to, you should get some so that you can solve your practical problems. But then you should also get some so that you can look at the problems that other people have and help them. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Money gives you the option to help other people who are in need. You say, where does it teach that? Where does the Bible say that, that you should use your money to help other people? Well, it spells it out for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to these words written from Paul to his young protege named Timothy. He says, tell those people who have extra money or those who are rich to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those, say with me, in need. Look around you. There's people in need everywhere. Always being ready. Be prepared to do what? To share the money with others. Why has God put money in your pocket? It's not just for you. It's for you to be a blessing to others. I said a couple of weeks ago, money is a tool for you to bless other people. I love the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, anybody know the story of Luke chapter 10? I, I, I feel like I talk about it a lot. It's a great story. So this, this, this rich young guy comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, how, did, how can a person inherit eternal life? Like how does a person go to heaven when they die? Jesus pushes back and says, well, what did Moses say? And the guy quotes Moses, uh, the, 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 the book of Genesis. Uh, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sorry, book of Exodus. He quotes him. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus, so, so Jesus just says to him, that's great. Do that, and you'll be fine. Well, the guy pushes back and says, well, who is my neighbor? Like, who, who are we talking about here? And that's when Jesus goes into the story about the Good Samaritan. He says, well, let me tell you a story. There's a guy walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. On his way, he gets beat up and mugged and left for dead. They they rob him. They steal all his stuff. And all of a sudden, a religious guy, a priest, walks by, and he sees the guy there lying on the ground, left for dead, and he passes him by. Doesn't even stop. Doesn't even help him up. Then another man walks by, another temple assistant, another religious man. He sees him left for dead, and he walks by as well. And then this third guy comes along, this good Samaritan. Listen to what Jesus says this third man does. Going over to him, instead of walking past, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. And then he bandaged them up. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn. Some experts say... It was up to 17 miles. It was a 17-mile walk to the inn. And then it says this. The next day, he handed the innkeeper, implying that he stayed the night with the man. So he slept over at the hotel. The next morning, he gets up, and he gives him two silver coins. These are called denarii. I'll come back to that in just a second. Telling the man, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher, then I'll pay you the next time I'm in town. And then Jesus says to the man, who loved their neighbor? And the man replies, the third man, the one who showed mercy, the one who took care of the man who was mugged and beaten. And usually we tell the story to kind of demonstrate what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? And it is a great story. That's why Jesus told it. What does it look like to love your neighbors yourself? It looks like you look at their needs and you do what's best for them. But here's the underlying principle behind that or maybe a secondary truth that we overlook when we read this story. The reason he was able to help is because he had what? Money. The reason he was able to take this guy into town and check him into the hotel. Some experts say On the the short end, the two denarii, the two silver coins, was enough money to keep him in the inn for two weeks. Some experts say it was enough money to keep him in the inn for two months. Total stranger. And then he says, after, if his bills run higher, I'll come back and I'll give you more, I'll cover all of his bills. Whoa. Let me ask you a tough question today. What could the good Samaritan have done for this man if he had no money? How could, could he have helped the way he did? Yes or no? No. I'm sure he could have bent down and maybe helped him up and maybe even put him on his donkey, maybe even brought him to town and handed him off to somebody else who had money. Because the guy was broke. Remember, they stole everything he had. It was his money that allowed him to check him into the, to the hotel until he can be healed and recover. See, it takes money to bless other people in significant ways. Money is a tool to bless others. The other day I was getting my hair cut pretty routine. And we were ch- I was chatting with the lady. And, um, and it was great. Super quick. And, and you know just small talk. And I got up and she was done. And I walked over to the register. And as I was paying for the, for the haircut. Um, I just felt this nudge inside of me. You know to ask her. If, there's, if there was anything going on in her life. It's kind of awkward. You know, there's customers waiting, there's other people getting their hair cut, and I'm asking this deep question like, how are you? <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, and she, she kind of looks at me, and she knew who I was, and she looks at me and she just locks eyes, and, I, and all of a sudden I saw her eyes start to tear up. And I was like, oh no. And she looked at me and as, to see if maybe I, was I just, was I being serious? Did I really want to know? Because you know how people say, how are you? And they don't really mean it. How's it going? <laughs> but I really wanted to know. And so she said, she looked at me and she could tell. And so she said to me, uh, actually, um, i going through a divorce right now. It's really hard. And um, it's just me and my daughter. And um, it's not going well. And I was like, "Wow, that's heavy. Just right there, just right." I'm looking, customers, people getting their hair cut. So I said to her, "Well, that's tough. You know, um, I feel sorry. For, sorry about that." I said, "Is there anything that you need help with specifically? You know, maybe financially or something like that?" And again, she looked at me with that look, like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> and uh, she said, "Well, you know." We're doing okay, but Christmas is coming up and I have no idea how we're going to tackle Christmas. And I, and I thought, I have an idea. How much do you need? She's looking at me like, are you nuts? She threw out a number and it's the number I had in my pocket. So I reached in my pocket and I gave it to her and you know, all of a sudden, she came out from behind the table the register I'm like "Uh uh-oh where's this going she's coming around and so she came around and she just gave me this bear hug and started squeezing me and she was shaking and she was crying and I hugged her back and we just had this moment no customers looking at us you know (laughs) she walked back around and I said God's got his eye on you you coming to the nine o'clock or the 11 o'clock I'm just (laughs) you know I invite everybody to church so she's probably here today somewhere but uh no that's not why I did it that's not why I did it but I tell you that story not to say not to pat myself on the back and say oh my gosh you know you know I, I give money away no I tell you that story because Jackie and I are living our life in such a way that that we have extra we have extra we live on a very very you know short percentage or small percentage of our income so that there's a ton of margin to be able to tackle the issues that we have with tires and all kinds of stuff, but also to maybe to bless other people who come into our life. And that, and that is what God, that's God's plan for, for cash. So I'm gonna, ask you a, I'm gonna ask you a question. It's not a question that you would have thought you would have heard in church, ever. By any pastor in fact you probably would think you would hear a question in the, that is opposite to this question but you got to hear the spirit in which I'm asking this question okay and the, and the spirit is everything we've just said for the last 25 minutes here's the question what's your plan to get more money you say you're right I've never heard a preacher ask that question before <laughs> not for not to get rich come on that's not what we're talking about Don't send me an email about that this week, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you. Tell people to go get more money. No, that's not the heart. That's not the heart. The heart is to be able to solve the practical problems in your life, and then to look to your left and to your right, and to solve some practical problems for your neighbors. That is the purpose of the Benjamins. And when you have that purpose for money, you can have a great relationship with it. You don't have to feel guilty about having it. You don't have to be ashamed For having, oh, I've got some money. I shouldn't have it. I should give it, you know, don't tell anybody. No. God has given this to me. I'm a steward of it. It's his money, and I'm going to dish it out to those who are in need. What's your plan to get more money? Dave Ramsey's seven-step plan. Simple plan. Step number one, save $1,000. Emergency. Step two, pay off all your debt except for your house. Step three, get three to six months expenses tucked away. Step four, 15% into your 403B, 401K retirement plan. Step five, put cash away for your kid's college. Step six, pay off your house early, which I kind of disagree with. Anyway, and then step seven. Does anybody know what step seven is? It's the best one. It's the one you work so hard for do these all. You know what it is? If you don't know what it is, let me show it to you build wealth and give like a crazy person (laughs) give away crazy amounts of money like how could you give away that money well it's just i listen i depend everything's taken care of and now i'm in a stage in my life where we're just building wealth in creative ways so it's 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 not so that we can get rich and buy more stuff for ourselves and luxury things no it's so that we can be a blessing machine to the eight billion people around us who need help does that make sense Amen. We should not feel guilty about having money if we have money in its proper place and we're relating to it in a healthy way. It's a tool to solve practical problems in your own life, and it's a tool to bless others in your life. What's your plan to get more money? Some of you need to get a second job. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not messing around. you got to hustle a little bit more. Come on. For a time period, you got to hustle. Not forever, just until you get that six months saved. You don't have six months saved, so you got to hustle. you got to Uber. That's right. Come on. Drive down 135, anywhere in the United States right now, it says, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. Okay. Go get a job, a second job, or maybe a third job. Not forever. Just until you get that financial margin in your life. One of my my favorite ways to discover how to build wealth or generate wealth is by having conversations with people. I do it all the time. What do you do for a living? How do you do that? How do you make money? That's incredible. I've never heard of that before. That actually generates money for you? That's wild. Maybe I should try that. Why? Not to get rich, but to solve problems for myself and for other people. What is your plan? What is your plan to generate more wealth? Now... Think about that this week. Come up with a plan. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your whoever and, 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 and generate something. Put something together where you can build some wealth. As we wrap up, as we close, please don't tune me out. Please don't tune me out because we're going to collect a dollar here in just a second to bless that family we talked about earlier. We're going to do that in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to go back to what Solomon said money cannot do. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. Those who love money will never have enough because money is not designed to satisfy the soul. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. In other words, you will never satisfy the desires of your soul with something tangible, something physical. It's impossible to do. You can't do it with a person. You can't do it with a sexual experience. You can't do it with a financial amount of money. There's nothing tangible that can satisfy the soul. But oh, how we try it. Why doesn't it work? Why aren't the happiest people in the world the ones with billions and billions of dollars? Why? Because it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because you were made for God. You were made for God. And you can only find happiness in a relationship with him. You are made by God, for God. And it's only through Christ that you will find the happiness that you are looking for in your life. It's not gonna come through a relationship, it's not gonna come through money, it's not going to come by having a baby. It's not, by, it's not going to come by changing jobs. We think it will. It won't. It'll come when you put your faith in Christ Jesus as your Savior. You were made by God and for God. And God demonstrated his love for you that while we were separated from him by our sins, Christ died for us on the cross. That's how the Bible says it. He stretched out his arms and he allowed himself to be murdered. It's what happened on your behalf. And when he was murdered, when he was put to death by those Roman soldiers that day, he paid the penalty you should have paid. He paid the penalty I should have paid. But in his love and in his mercy, he says, God says to you and I, I'm going to have my son pay the price for you. And if you trust in him and you look to him, you'll have your sins forgiven. When I was 18 years old, I made that decision, changed my life. How about you? Maybe today is your moment. Where you look at Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and you ask him to forgive your sin and you ask him to be your savior. You've been chasing money, you've been chasing other things and you realize it's it's never ending and it'll never satisfy. And today you need Christ. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. Take these words, make it your own prayer. Reach out in faith to God. Let this moment be your moment in time. Will you put your faith in Christ? Will you pray with me if you feel led to? Just reach out in faith and say this Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for laying your life down when it should have been mine. Thank you for taking on the penalty of sin that I should have paid. Thank you for canceling the debt that I owed. Thank you for grace. I ask you to cleanse my, cleanse my soul. Wash me. Make me as white as snow. Be my savior today. With the little faith that I have, I reach out. Fill my heart right now with your spirit, with joy, with peace, with happiness. Be my Lord, my God. And from this day forward, teach me to follow. Teach me to obey. Teach me to trust. Teach me to honor you. To love you. To keep you on my mind and heart at all times. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen amen can we give god glory church all of our campuses let's hear you banta let's hear you franklin let's hear you garfield park come on let's hear you seymour let's hear you greenwood god is doing a great work here today hey if you trusted in christ today Whatever campus you're at, if you're online, we would love to put a starter kit in your hands. Inside this starter kit, we call it our save box. There is a Bible with a Bible reading plan because it's designed for you to read it. And uh, there's a mug in here to say congratulations to get you started drinking coffee if you don't drink it. And there's also some information in here about how to connect to the church, small groups, baptism, all that good stuff. So if you prayed to trust Christ today, text the word SAVE to 65248. Grab one of these at the information booth at your campus if you're watching online. You can fill some information out. We'll send one to you you in the mail. Can we give God glory one more time, church? Amen. Come on, nice and loud.